For our sermon tonight, please turn in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 8. The book of 2 Kings and chapter 8. We read in the Old Testament at different times of men being anointed by God. An anointing would very often take place with oil being poured upon the man's head. And the anointing symbolized that God was setting that man apart and giving him special powers to work in his kingdom. And God's purpose in anointing a man was to use him to bring blessing upon his kingdom and his desire would be to do good and to build up the nation of Israel. We find this, for example, with David when he was a young man. Samuel came and anointed him to be the future king of Israel. And we find it again in various passages where prophets, priests, and kings throughout the Old Testament, God would anoint them and set them apart with special powers for the work of his kingdom, to bring blessing and to build up his kingdom in the nation of Israel. And in the passage before us this evening, we find an anointing once again, but it is an an, an anointing of a very different kind. It is an anointing not for building up the nation of Israel, it is an anointing for tearing it down. It is not an anointing of blessing and good for the nation. It is an anointing to bring judgment upon it. The time of our passage here in 2 Kings chapter 8, at this time the nation of Israel had fallen into the sin of idolatry and the worship of all kinds of false gods and false superstitions. The worship of Baal, And the worship of the false gods of the surrounding nations was found throughout the land of Israel. And God had shown great patience and mercy toward his people for many years. He had warned them in his word. He had sent prophets to call them back from their sins. But the people ignored God's warnings. And they turned their backs upon him. And they went on in their ways of sin. And now the patience of God was coming to an end. And his judgments were beginning to fall upon the nation of Israel. And one of the ways in which he judges was to judge them was that he anointed the king of another nation to wage war against his own people. A most remarkable and a startling thing as if God himself declares war upon his own people. He removes the anointing from the king of his own nation, and he goes and he anoints the king of another nation, and he sets that king apart, and he gives him special powers to wage war against his own people. And all of this, was because of the continuing rebellion of his people against his word. And that's what we see in the passage tonight, here in 2 Kings chapter 8. And we'll read in verses 7 
down through verse 15. In verse 7, Then Elijah came to Damascus. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, and I will pronounce Aram Syria, because that is the name given in most Bibles. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Haziel, Take a gift in your hand and go to meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? So Haziel went to meet him and took a gift in his hand, even every kind of good thing of Damascus, forty camels loads, and he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? Then Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall surely recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. And he fixed his gaze steadily on him until he was ashamed and the man of God wept. And Haziel said, Why does my Lord weep? Then he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and their little ones you will dash in pieces, and their women with child you will rip up. And Haziel said, But what is your servant who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing. And Elijah answered, The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Syria. So he departed from Elijah and returned to his master, who said to him, What did Elijah say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would surely recover. And it came about on the morrow, that he took the cover and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died, and Haziel became king in his place. So this evening we want to look at the narrative here, the events of the narrative, and then make some applications from what we see at the end. The first thing we notice in this passage is that Elijah is sent to finish the work of Elijah. Elijah is sent to finish the work of Elijah. Elijah was God's prophet to the nation of Israel, and he was sent to the people to preach the word of God to them, and we find him here in a very strange and unexpected place in the beginning of verse 7. We read, Then Elijah came to Damascus. Damascus was the capital city of the nation of Syria, and it was the home of the evil king of Syria. His name was Ben-Hadad. And as we have seen in previous passages, Ben-Hadad and the Syrians had been waging war against the nation of Israel for many years. And on many occasions, the Syrian army would come down from the north and would invade the land of Israel, seeking to destroy the nation. And it seemed strange to us here to see Elisha going north into the land of the enemy and arriving in the capital city of Damascus. 
And we wonder what would bring Elisha there? What business does God's prophet have in the capital city of Israel's enemy? And the answer to that question is that Elisha was sent there by God to finish the work of his predecessor, the prophet Elijah. And we find this in our Bibles if we turn back for a moment to the book of 1 Kings and chapter 19. Back in 1 Kings and chapter 19. And in this chapter, Queen Jezebel, in the earlier part of the chapter, Jezebel had vowed to take the life of Elijah. Elijah became afraid and he ran and he was in a point of despair as he went out into the wilderness and he found a juniper tree and he laid under the tree and he told the Lord that he had had enough and he requested that his life might be taken from him. But an angel came and strengthened him with food and rest and directed him to go 40 days journey to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And when Elijah arrived there, he confessed how alone he felt in the midst of the apostasy of Israel. And he told the Lord here in verse 14, Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to him in the following verses, the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mohalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it came about the one, and it shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall put to death. Yet I have left 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal in every mouth that has not kissed him. So the Lord here in this passage is beginning to bring the ministry of Elijah to a close. And there are three men that Elijah was to anoint. And the first was that he was to go through the wilderness of Damascus, and he was to anoint Haziel to be the king over Syria, and Haziel was to be God's instrument of judgment on the nation of Israel. And then second, Elijah was to anoint a man named Jehu as the king over Israel. And Jehu was to take vengeance on the house of Ahab. And then third, he was to anoint Elijah, who was to succeed him as God's prophet in Israel. But then as we read through the following chapters to the end of Elijah's life, we find that only the last of these three, the anointing of Elijah, was what Elijah actually accomplished the anointing of Haziel as king over Syria to bring judgment on Israel, and the anointing of Jehu to bring about the end of the house of Ahab, 
those anointings were delayed and they were never accomplished by Elijah. And that, that delay was an act of God's patience because he first brought in the long and extended ministry of Elijah before the other anointings. And so for 50 years, for the next 50 years, Elijah was to, Elisha, Elisha was to preach repentance to the nation before God brought judgment through these other men. His patience with the nation of Israel and the sins of men. But what now happens in 2 Kings chapter 8 is that Elisha, Elisha is finally sent by God to finish the work of Elijah. And so he is the one who went up to Damascus to anoint Haziel as king of Syria. And later he would anoint Jehu. So Elijah completes the work of Elijah. We turn back to 2 Kings chapter 8. Back in 2 Kings and chapter 8. And the second thing we see in this narrative is the sickness of Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. And we read this in verses 7 through 9. Then Elisha came to Damascus. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Haziel, Take a gift in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord. By him saying, Will I recover from this sickness? So Haziel went to meet him and took a gift in his hand, even every kind of good thing of Damascus, forty camels loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to you, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? Elisha was well known, even in the land of Syria. The news of his mighty miracles had spread through the surrounding nations, and he was especially known in the land of Syria since the time he had cured Naaman of his leprosy. And here in verse 7, we see that he is known as the man of God. They recognized him, that he was the man who was sent by God, and he was the man upon whom God had given special powers the God of Israel, and he was the man of God. And when he came to Damascus, his presence could not be hidden, and the news of his presence found its way to the king of Syria, and they said, the man of God has come here. And Ben-Hadad was sick, and his sickness was so severe that his life was in danger, he did not know whether he would live or die, so when he heard that the man of God was in Damascus, he sent his servant Haziel with a gift to Elisha to inquire whether he would recover. And we see in verse 8 that he instructed Haziel to inquire of the Lord. He says, take a gift in your hand, go meet the man of God, inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? So here we have this pagan and idolatrous king, and he is inquiring here of the God of Israel. And the gift that Haziel took 
was a most extravagant gift. Verse 9 tells us that it was every kind of good thing of Damascus. Damascus was a center of commerce in those days, and everything of the ancient world would have been found in that city. There would have been gold and silver, clothing and various products of Damascus, and so much of it was to be given to Elijah that it took 40 camels loads to carry all of the gifts to him. And it was all Ben-Hadad's effort to appease the God of Israel, to purchase his favor and to see if he could recover from his illness. This is the way that Ben-Hadad thought he should deal with the God of Israel. Send him a great gift and the Lord will be impressed and he will have mercy upon me and he will grant me recovery. So Haziel goes off with this long procession of 40 camels, all of them loaded down with their gifts as they parade through the streets of Damascus to find Elisha, the prophet from Israel. When, when Haziel stood before Elijah, he flattered him by calling Ben-Hadad Elijah's son. We see that at the end of verse 9, he said, your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you saying, will I recover from this sickness? And he calls Ben-Hadad the son of Elisha as a form of respect because servants in those days were called the sons of their masters to indicate their submission to their master. And so this is how Ben-Hadad speaks of himself to Elisha that he is his son, he is humbling himself, and it shows something of the desperate nature of Ben-Hadad in his sickness, that he is willing to humble himself before Elisha in this way. The third thing we see in the passage is that Elisha anoints Haziel to be the king of Israel. Elisha was not impressed by the extravagant gift of Ben-Hadad. He was not a man who could be bribed. And we can assume that he did not accept the gift, just like he did not accept the gifts from Naaman years before. And we read of Elijah's response in verse 10. Then Elijah said to him, Go, say to him, you shall surely recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. Two things Elisha said here about Ben-Hadad. The first relates to his sickness. He said, you shall say to him, you shall surely recover. His sickness would not result in his death. If he were given time, he would recover from his sickness. But the second thing Elisha said was that the Lord had revealed to him that Ben-Hadad would certainly die in some other way. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. And as we'll see, Elijah knows that he will die because he will be murdered by Haziel. We should understand who Haziel is. He is a court official of Ben-Hadad. He is a very ambitious and deceitful man. 
And already, at this point, he desires to take over the throne of Syria for himself. And he has already conceived the plan in his heart that he will murder Ben-Hadad so that he will become the king. And as he, stand, as he stood before Elijah, Elisha, these were the thoughts that were going through his mind that he would put Ben-Hadad to death and he would take over the throne of Syria. But all of these secret thoughts of Haziel's heart was known to the Lord and they were being revealed to Elisha at this time. And so as Elisha looked at Haziel, Elijah was reading his heart, and he knew everything that was in him. And this is what is in his mind as we read verse 11. And he, that is Elijah, fixed his gaze steadily on him, that is Haziel, until he, Haziel, was ashamed, and the man of God wept. Haziel became aware that Elijah knew all of his thoughts. And as Elijah continued to stare at him, Haziel became ashamed of his evil and murderous plans. And then what happens was that the Lord revealed to Elisha not just his plot to murder the king of Syria, but all of the other atrocities that he would commit against the nation of Israel. And more and more of this is now revealed to Elisha, and he can bear no more the thought of it. And so that's why he breaks into tears and he weeps at the end of verse 11. And then we see in verse 12, And Haziel said, Why does my Lord weep? Then he answered, and he told him what the things were that were just being revealed to him, because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel, their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and their little ones you will dash in pieces, and their women with child you will rip up. The murder of Ben-Hadad was only the first step in this long series of atrocities. And when Haziel heard of all of these things, Haziel was stunned and he was surprised. And he said now in verse 13, Then Haziel said, But what is your servant, who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elijah answered, The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Syria. Haziel, he did not think he was capable of these things. He calls himself, in verse 13, a dog, meaning that he is but a humble servant court official, and he has no power to do any such thing, no authority for such things. It is impossible. He says, but what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? And then Elijah told him that he will carry out these terrible crimes because he will become the king of Syria. And by the power of the Syrian army, 
All these things he will bring to pass. Elijah says to him at the end of verse 13, this is how it will come to pass. The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Syria. Now we do not read any of any anointing on this occasion, but the conversation that Elijah had with Haziel is in effect, and the prophecy that is given is in effect God's anointing of Haziel. And the Lord has here now set him apart and given him the power to bring about these terrible things and this judgment on the nation of Israel. The last thing we see in the narrative is that Haziel fulfills God's word. And we read of this, Haziel fulfills God's word in verse 14 and 15. So he departed from Elijah and returned to his master who said to him, What did Elijah say to you? And he answered, He told me that you shall surely recover. And it came about on the morrow that he took the cover and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died and Hazael became king in his place. The first thing that Hazael does is that when he returns to Ben-Hadad, Ben-Hadad asks him for the report that Elijah has given him. And Haziel only tells him the first half of what Elijah had said, that he shall surely recover from his sickness. He omits the second half, that he will surely die from some other cause. And then on the very next day, he fulfills the word of Elijah, And he murdered Ben-Hadad in this most clever way. Perhaps when the king was sleeping, Haziel came in. The king was defenseless on his bed. Haziel secretly went into his bedroom, dipped a thick cloth in water and spread it over Ben-Hadad's face. And then he could no longer breathe. And he suffocated and died, and then Haziel himself became the king of Syria. So here we have the main points of the story. The Lord has anointed a new king of Syria to carry out judgments on the nation of Israel. And as we look at this account, we have three men who are here in this Record, we have Ben-Adad, the king of Syria. We have Haziel, the servant of Ben-Hadad. And we have Elijah, God's prophet to Israel. And we learn lessons from each of these three men. And we'll look at those lessons now as we continue. First, in regard to Ben-Hadad, we learn how evil men change their view of God in times of desperation. How evil men change their view of God in times of desperation. Ben-Hadad had lived his entire life as a very great sinner against the Lord, a bold enemy of God and his people all his days. Back in chapter 5, he would go into the house of Rimmon who was the God of Syria, 
and he would worship and he would bow down before Rimen. And that had always been his religion all of his life, the worship of the false god Rimen. And then for many years, Ben-Hadad had sent his army down to attack and to destroy the nation of Israel. And not long before this, he had sent down a great army to capture and kill Elijah. And so throughout all of his life, Ben-Hadad had been a very great sinner and an enemy of God and an enemy of his people. But now, but now he is on his sickbed and he is suddenly staring death in the face. And even Ben-Hadad is fearful at this time. When the reality of death comes, we see how quickly he threw away any hope of help from his false god, Rimen. And he begins to look to the true and living God of Israel and to inquire from him whether he will recover. And now he wants to be at peace with Jehovah. And so he sends to Jehovah, his friend, with all of these extravagant gifts. And he is willing to humble himself before Elijah. A complete reversal of his thoughts and his views of God. How different a man's thoughts of God can be when he lies upon his deathbed than when he is in full health. He had been God's enemy all his life. Now he desires to be God's friend. Even careless and hardened men like Ben-Hadad begin to have thoughts of God that they never had before. But we see here with Ben-Hadad, it was too late for him because his heart was already too hard and he never came to salvation and he died in his sins and perished. He had lived a life of sin. And a life of sin always has its consequences. And one of those consequences of the life of sin is a hardened heart against the Lord. And now his heart is so hard that his thoughts can rise no higher than the concerns of this life. His question for the Lord through the prophet Elijah at the end of verse 9, his question has nothing to do with death and eternity. It has nothing to do with meeting God. His question was not, how shall I be saved? His question only has to do with the things of this world 
Shall I recover? Shall I recover from this sickness? We do see a deathbed conversion in the Bible in the case of the thief next to Jesus on the cross when he was crucified. The thief cried out, remember me, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord Jesus had mercy upon him and said, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. We do not deny that there is such a thing as deathbed conversions. They are possible. But no man should presume upon such a thing. Some men think that if there is a God, then I will wait and deal with him in the end. And what we see here with Benadad is far more common and happens to so many that the life of sin gradually hardens the heart. And when men come to the end of life, they can find no true repentance. The best time for one to repent is when he is young and when his heart is soft and moldable because as one continues in a life of sin his heart increasingly hardens until it becomes like a stone and it is impossible for him to find true repentance. The best time of repentance is the time of one's youth. Today, today, tonight is the day of salvation for any who are not believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it would be far better for you to repent of your sins tonight and live the rest of your life as a faithful Christian than for you to delay and then wait until the end and have a hope that is so often vain that you will deal with him in the end. Today, tonight, is the time of repentance. The second lesson we learn from Haziel, from Haziel, who became the king, who killed Ben-Hadad and then became the king, and whom Elijah said would commit all those other atrocities there in verse 12. The second lesson we learn is from him, and it is the slippery slope of sin. When Haziel first came to Elijah, he had the sin of murder in his heart. And when Elijah stared at him, Haziel had enough conscience that he became ashamed of himself. And then when he heard Elijah list all of those other atrocities that he would commit, Haziel was shocked and surprised and he thought that such things were impossible. He could never commit such great sins. But one sin leads to another. 
And each sin makes the next sin so much easier. And sin, one sin, sin is never content. Sin is never satisfied. Sin always wants more. And once a man, whether he is a Christian or a non-Christian, it matters not. The nature of sin is the same. One sin in the heart that is allowed to continue will expand and grow and multiply into other sins. There is only one way to deal with sin, and that is to resist it and to put it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because sin will never be satisfied. The lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life will find no satisfaction. Take the entire world and pour it upon those sins, and they will still not be content. That's the nature of sin, and that's what happened to to Haziel. He had the sin of murder in his heart. Little did he know that once he committed that one sin, it would lead to all these other sins that Elijah mentions. He will put young men to death. He will dash little ones to pieces. And so on. Those terrible atrocities that he mentions. He was shocked to hear of them at first. But then as we read on in later chapters. We find that all of these things took place. It is the deceitful nature of sin. And sin always operates in this way. A third thing we see from the passage is we learn here the painful reality of human depravity. The painful reality of human depravity. There are many people in our day who deny the teaching of human depravity. They would not believe what the Bible teaches on this subject. That the human race has fallen into sin. They do not believe that we have a sinful nature. And that all of us are capable of the very worst kinds of sins. Many would say today that such ideas are harsh. They are outdated teachings of the Bible. And they would believe that man by nature is good and given the right environment and placed in the proper circumstances with the right education, that he is prone and he will increase in only doing good. But here we see the painful reality of human depravity in the life of Haziel. But human depravity Human depravity is not something just taught in the Bible. Human depravity is something we see on the news every night. We see it in the crimes that are reported. We see it in the wars. And what Paul wrote to Titus is true, that men are hateful and hating one another. And no objective observer of this world and what takes place in this world 
can really deny the painful reality of human depravity. But the same Bible, the same Bible that teaches human depravity also teaches that there is a way of recovery out of that depravity. Because God has made a way of salvation and he has given a great savior in Jesus Christ. And power has been given to Christ to save sinners. Such power has been given to Jesus that Jesus can save the very worst of sinners. And he can make them into new creations. And he can give them new hearts and renew them and put his Holy Spirit within them and change them so that they live in entirely different ways. It is a most amazing thing, even sinners like Haziel, if they believe on the Lord Jesus, they can be saved and made new and forgiven of all their sins and be brought into eternal life. However bad the human race may be, and however bad any individual sinner may be, there is always hope for those who will come repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus, who is the great Savior of all who come to him. Then we learn a lesson here from Elijah. And what we see here with Elijah is a faithful, a life of faithful obedience to God, a life of faithful obedience to God. Elijah knew that he must fulfill the Lord's command and go up to Damascus and anoint Haziel to be the king of Syria. It was a dangerous journey for Elijah to take. He had to enter into enemy territory, go all the way up into the enemy's capital city, and there were perils along the way. But Elijah, he had no fear. He had no fear because his only concern was to do the will of God, to accomplish the will of God, no matter what the dangers might be. He must anoint Haziel to be the future king of Syria. And he will bring destruction on his own nation of Israel. And if there was ever a task Elijah did not want to do, and if there was anything ever that was contrary to his own desires, it was this. But Elijah proved himself to be an obedient servant of the Lord. When he met Haziel, he showed himself to be a man of truth. He spoke to Haziel everything that the Lord had revealed to him. And this is who Elijah had always been, a man who always spoke the truth. And he lived a life of faithful obedience to the Lord. The last thing we see as we close tonight is that Elijah, 
is a likeness of Jesus Christ. He is a likeness of Christ. We see this when he weeps over Haziel and over the judgment that is coming on the nation of Israel. Elijah was God's prophet to bring mercy to the guilty nation. And he had gone throughout that nation calling people to repentance, to turn from their idols to the Lord. And he had preached the forgiveness of their sins and he had performed great miracles to confirm the truth that he preached. And the whole ministry of Elijah was God's last effort, his last effort to call the nation to repentance back to himself. His last effort of mercy and compassion upon that nation. And now Elijah's ministry of nearly 50 years is coming to an end. The nation of Israel has not listened to his message and they have continued in their rebellion against the Lord. And Elijah here, Elijah sees the terrible judgment that is coming upon the nation of Israel. And he weeps. And he does not weep out of any sense of personal failure or the failure of his ministry. But he weeps because of the devastation and the destruction that is coming on the kingdom of God. The great concern of Elijah has always been the glory of God. And now the glory of God is being eclipsed. And the purpose for which he was sent to bring the people back to the Lord has not been accomplished. And it will not be. And now he sees God's judgment coming upon his own nation. And in all of this, Elijah is like our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this in a similar event in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41, Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem for the last time. And we read, and when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The Lord Jesus the greatest of all the prophets has been sent to the nation of Israel 
to call them to repentance, but they have refused to hear his word. And now Jesus is being brought to the end of his ministry. He has performed great works to confirm his message of peace, but they have not recognized it. And their sins have come upon them. And here he sees the terrible judgment that will come upon that great city of Jerusalem. Jesus is like Elijah. He has come as a prophet of mercy. He has preached the way of peace and the forgiveness of sins. He has performed great miracles to confirm his word. And his ministry was God's last call to that nation. And now Jesus sees the terrible judgment that is coming. And it came 30 years later when the Romans destroyed the city. And Jesus saw it coming like Elijah saw it coming. And Jesus wept over the city because of the devastation that was coming on those people. The great concern of Jesus' life was the glory of God. And all of his labors were that men would turn from their sins and walk in God's ways. But it will not come to pass. And we see him here as he weeps. He is like Elijah from so long ago. But there is still hope for all of us here tonight. And the hope is always found in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we come to him in repentance and call upon his name and ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he will not reject any, and he will not turn away any who come to him in true repentance and look to him for mercy. He will receive everyone, and he will forgive, and he will cleanse, and he will bring sinners into eternal life. He is our only hope. And he is always and he is still the great Savior of sinners. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our only hope to be delivered from our great sins Individually, each one of us, as a nation, all of us together, our only hope is to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Bless your word to us. Give us all grace to come to Jesus, to know him and love him and walk in his ways. Take away all sins that trouble us. Take away all of our sins that cling to us. Us who are, we who are your people, and purify us, we pray, that we might be faithful to you to the end. Lord, we need your help. We need your mercy. And so we ask these things through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.